Tools, not rules. Okay, so um, what is that? I'll tell you later. My name is Travis. So I've been doing design and working in startups for about 10 years. In the last two years, I've been at Google. And I work on search and mostly on um, the crisis response. So that's been coming to play a lot lately with the hurricanes and also other like large interest events. And so it's, it's really exciting to be able to create things for people that maybe that somebody in this room has seen that's really exciting for me. Um, I also have been, uh, I have a YouTube channel that I've been um, made over 300 videos for, for the past maybe four years. And we're, we're around 10 million views, uh, just over that. And it's very exciting for me. And the, the idea on that YouTube channel is to teach the next generation of creators how to code, how to design, how to create, um, and how to, how to feel about their creations, how to think about them. So it's a lot of soft stuff as well. And then, um, and also I have a collaboration with my very best friend. It's a podcast. We call it Late Nights with Trav and Lowe. So I'm Trav in that, in that setting. And um, Carlos is Lowe's. And it, it's, it's this collaboration that I want to talk about a little bit and kind of pull out this idea of, of tools, not rules. So, so this is us. And when we started this podcast, I was coming from, you know, doing some YouTube and seeing some success there. And I had a lot of ideas about what it means to be a, a content creator. And so the first thing I did to establish our relationship was, was kind of you know, lead that with, with like prescriptions of what I think is going to make a successful podcast. I started putting out rules and saying, we're going to do this. This is what I've learned works and, and that and that and that. And one of the early, one of the first rules actually that I made was like, we cannot Google anything <laughs> on the air. Um, the idea is that if you're in a conversation with somebody, it's much better just to, to not know or, or make an assumption or just roll past the mystery. If I don't know the name of that reference or if I don't actually know the number or the fact, it's fine. Just make it up. It's, yeah, it's better to have a good conversation than it is to suck the air out of the room to make sure your facts are right, right? And so that was a rule that I placed on us. And and to be fair, we still, we still do that rule. It's, it's, a part of, it's a part of how we operate. But we also did something early on that I think was really, really wise. And I didn't even know or realize that we were doing it. Is, uh, oh, yeah, we, we, made a, we made a tool. And this is the difference here. And, I, and I'm thinking about tools in, in the things that enable us, right? So our rule was don't do this thing. Don't, don't Google something. Don't ask that question to your phone right now. But our tool was, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to enable you, and I'm going to uh, respect the things you do. And so the way that our collaboration works is that I have an episode, I'm the owner of it, and he has the episode, and we alternate. So if he's hosting, for example, uh, it's his job to do the research, provide the topic, present, and and edit afterwards, and, and publish it, you know, uploading and tagging and, and, and promoting afterwards. It's a lot of work to, to host a podcast. And if he's hosting, my job is just to show up. Just look pretty on the air. Um, no, but I, I try to show up and be my best self. If I need to be entertaining, I'll put on a smile. If I need to be thoughtful, I'll put on a grimace and I'll try to give a good insight. But in the end, 
it's his decision. And, and you know, invariably, I'm going to say something stupid or, or, or like, uh, embarrassing. And invariably, he will publish it. He will not edit it out. But that's okay. Like, that's his, that's his thing. And I have to give him that space to say, it, you're, you're the master of this week. It's your show. You do it. Later on next week, I'm going to talk about something that I really want to talk about with my best friend. And we have this, this trust that, that kind of builds over time. And we put a lot of equity into that relationship in this way. That I don't dictate what he does, and he has no say over what I do. And um, in preparation for this talk, I was looking over our archive. We have around 130 episodes so far. And uh, some, some themes emerged from this collaboration, right? We're, we're very, we're very um, uh, independent in the, way that we're, in, the, in the way that we're creating and choosing topics. And uh, I want to play a little game with you guys, if that's okay. So what I have here on the screen are two titles of episodes. These are real titles. This, this is, these are episodes that have gone out. And... Um, over a series of these comparisons, you'll see that we have really, really separate personalities and perspectives and the way we approach ideas. So I'll give you like the first two. So uh, craft and launching is one episode. And the other one is happiness equals pleasure plus purpose. So I clicked it. There we go. That one's mine, the happiness one, right? So he's very tactical. He's very interested in being successful and getting shit done and and I'm like what? how do I be happy um, here's another one make your idea a reality what are you willing to suffer for <laughs> any ideas which one do you think would be mine <laughs> Probably the one on the right right yeah that's right you got it let's do another one Imposter syndrome. Staying relevant as a designer. What do you think? Imposter syndrome, that's exactly right. My favorite episode, by the way. Um, overcoming creative complacency uh, in defense of the ordinary. This is the tough one. What do you think? In defense of the, yeah, that's mine. I, I thought you were going to get it wrong. I, I was like, this is going to trip them up. Yeah, get it done, right? Yeah, so like, like these themes emerge in, 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 our, in our relationship, in our collaboration, and it's wonderful that I can just, I can be like, yeah, do your thing. Like, I want to learn from you just as much as I want to express myself. Here's another one, the five fears that I have. <laughs> Versus eight ways to build trust, right? So, obviously, I'm definitely going to talk about my fears. Um... The last one is a lesson to my younger self. And <laughs> Travis is a child. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously. Right, okay. I think that's the last one. Okay. So, uh, after going through these things and, and noticing the, the complex relationship and the, and the way that we approach this, this collaborative project where we each have equal stakeholder, um, equal stake in the outcome of it. This, this tapestry started to emerge that was woven and, and the foundation of it was, was trust and respect and giving each other that tool of autonomy and, and 
enabling them. If, if Los asks me to, for something, if he says, hey, man, for this episode, I need you to prepare five statements and X, Y, Z, I'm doing it. If I say, hey, Los, don't show up, he won't. That's actually a true thing. So um, earlier I mentioned we had a rule of not Googling anything on the air. And I want to ask a question. And this is a leading question, obviously. And it's going to be a yes or no. And I just want you to kind of like answer because the next question is not leading and I want thoughtful answers. So uh, do you suppose that this, this rule of not Googling on air has led to any creative innovations? Shit. <laughs> That's not what I expected. Well, okay. Possibly. I don't know. But I was thinking no, because all it does is just keep us from looking dumb. Actually, no. It doesn't keep us from looking dumb. It just keeps us from looking boring. And I think that may be an innovative thing. But let me ask you this question. <laughs> um, has the tool of enabling someone to have autonomy and freedom and respect over their work, do you think it's possible that that has enabled creative breakthroughs? And I, guess I think that, that's a yes or no. What I want to say is, how might it? How might that enable creative breakthroughs? And I'll pass this mic. Does anybody want to kind of gesture out? Well, yep. allows you to brainstorm with, with colleagues. It, the mic is literally taped to the floor. Okay, sorry. So, um, the answer was allows you to brainstorm with colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. Brainstorming is a really vulnerable thing, isn't it? Because you're putting your idea out there and you're saying, like, this possibly represents how I think, how I view the world, how I feel about myself and other people around. And if we don't have that safe place, if I don't have autonomy and, 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 and ability to get, get it wrong then I'm not going to be able to express myself. I'm not going to be able to take that leap and, and try to challenge what the assumptions are in the room. Any other ideas of how might, how might this open, autonomous, respectful relationship enable creative breakthroughs? Makes you feel safe. Makes you feel safe. Absolutely. And that's, that's all we really want as humans. Ugh. <sighs> So what I want to do is talk about some actual ways that this relationship, this tool, has enabled these creative breakthroughs. So I'm going to do that in um, the examples of episodes that have kind of just come out of it, right? So while I was traveling and I was unable to sit at the desk, we usually like, we like to speak in person. That's a thing we do. And it's usually late at night and usually outdoors. But anyway... Um, Imagine my surprise one Tuesday morning when I checked my you know, podcast feed, because that's when we publish, and Los has, has published a, a, a new podcast inside of my podcast. And he called it, yeah, right? It's like, how'd you, what's, he called it Undiscovered. All of a sudden, he's, he's interviewing musicians that he respects and admires that have not been uh, signed to labels. And he's talking to them about their music. What went into it? What are they doing now? What's their goals? How did they create this? What inspired that? Imagine my elation when he's talking passionately about something that I don't even share with him. We don't talk about music. He, I, don't, I don't know what he's into. And, and now I know. And, and, and he revealed it. So, so, oh, I just... What does the down button do? <laughs> okay, it's okay. No panics. Um, imposter syndrome, we talked about this one. Uh, this is an episode that when I was traveling, I was, 
I was sparked by a, a listener question. And I didn't have my companion there. In the normal mode, would be like, hey, let's sit at the table and talk about imposter syndrome and make this person feel like they don't you know, know what they're doing because imposters don't belong and whatever, right? Like, like the normal, <laughs> how many of you guys listen to a podcast where it's just like four people sitting around a Skype connection with a Google Doc and they're just giving their hot take on that new iPhone? I mean... <laughs> Right? So this is different because all of a sudden I'm out in, 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 in an unfamiliar place. I'm away from home. I don't know really anybody, and yet I'm forced to create. And because I don't need Los's permission, and because I don't need his acceptance for what I'm doing, it's fully my expression, fully my responsibility. He's given me that tool. I can use it. And now I'm talking to people that I don't know about about imposter syndrome, which is a, an incredibly personal and an intense feeling that people have. I've, I've talked to creators, talked to people who do management. Even uh, I got on the phone some psychologists who do career counseling. Even uh, I was able to track down uh, Dr. Pauline Rose Clance, whom in the 70s was a part of the team that coined the term imposter phenomenon and got her take on it. You notice that I said imposter phenomenon and not imposter syndrome. She doesn't believe it should be a syndrome. Did you know that? I learned that. One day, Los made a, a network, a, a podcast network, and I didn't, I didn't know that that was going to happen. And he, he made this episode where we're sitting around the table shooting ideas about what to call this thing and and, and looking up domain registrations. And I'm like, this is going to be a horrible episode. This is garbage. And, uh, and he published it. And it turns out people really connected with it. Because what happened was two people were sitting around a table and ideating and throwing ideas in the trash, throwing them against the wall and seeing what sticks. And it was real and honest and earnest. And I was like, this is not, this is not polished enough. This is not produced. But I let him have it. I gave him the tool to make that decision, and it turned out to be one of the most connective uh, episodes that we've had. People really resonated with it. Um, there's this designer that I really respect. His name is Oliver, and uh, and he's traveling around around a lot. Um, and I, in order to talk to him, I had to go to uh, Mission Dolores Park on a Sunday afternoon. Nice, warm. Have you guys ever been to Mission Dolores on a Sunday afternoon? It is the best people watching ever. There was like this robot that was dancing with the children. Do you know Party Robot? Oh, man. I, I, we need to talk after. I need to know what that was. That was... You have peed, been peed on? Oh, I, I met this quartet of singers, these Irish singers that were all arraigned in thongs, and they sang to me about how beautiful the day was. It was a really great experience. Um, but it wouldn't happen if we were stuck to a desk every time, you know what I mean? One time we couldn't be together, and we just left each other voicemails. And, and it was interesting the way that, that this episode became a reflection of our relationship, where we just talked about what we wanted to talk about, and, and the narratives, how they interwove um, I listened to that episode this morning on the train into San Francisco, and I thought it was a really great representation of not just our friendship, but also of our collaboration. 
Um, and the last one, we, we often have uh, guest hosts. We don't really do guest like interviews. We do sometimes, but mostly we try to enable our guest to bring content, to bring ideas to the podcast. And again, this wouldn't happen if there was this regimented, rule-based production. It's all about the tool of enabling and allowing and permitting. So having said all that, I want to get back into like the nuts and bolts of tools, not rules. I want to, I want to talk about what exactly are rules to help us really identify them in our, in our lives. So rules are the things that constrict and they bind and they circum, circumscribe uh, what did I say here? Oh, yeah, they dictate the project. They draw a circle around what's allowed. And everything that's in the circle is good, and everything that's outside of the circle is not good. It's not okay. It's not permitted. And I'm talking, you know, maybe biased against rules in this talk, but question, uh, are all rules bad? Are some rules helpful? Yes. yes. Rules can be helpful, sure. That's fine. Um, when I think of helpful rules, I think of something like this material design guidelines. Um, what's so great about these is that they really elevate uh, the people who use it in a way that somebody who is new to design or doesn't even understand the concepts behind these rules can enter the room and basically cut on the dotted line. And suddenly, they're creating artifacts that are well beyond their own understanding and well beyond their own maturity as a creator. And that really helps to align everybody into a singular output as well. So, to, so rules can be very helpful. I don't want to poo-poo on rules too much. But let's talk about tools for a second. Tools are, um, what did I write down? Tools are opportunities. Tools are those things that give us an enabling power to, to find that new route to a conclusion, something that was never thought of before. Uh, what else do I have here? Tools are based on experimentation, and they're derived from the results of those experiments. They, instead of telling you what to do and how to do it and when it's due, they ask you to try. Try something new. Make a connection. What is it? Yeah. And then you're taking all these tools, these things. I made these slides this morning, but so that's why I'm looking at them. Um, and, and over time, with experience, you add these tools to your toolbox. You're like, this kind of works. I, I've used this before. I've seen that happen. And then when a new problem comes, you're pulling out, like, like seeing if, you know, like, like when I'm fixing my, my daughter's bike, I'm like, this wrench doesn't work. Let's try this one. And, you know, and you, you try to figure it out that way and you see what works and you bang things together. And it's really a, a series of trial and error. To develop a really good toolbox, a tool set, is, is all about trial and error. And the nice thing about that is that that trial and error gives you experience and it gives you familiarity with the tools, with the problem space, with the opportunities that are before you. And with familiarity comes the opportunity for improvisation. Sometimes when we like look at like whose line is it anyway, we're like, improv is all about just making something up and like making it happen and pulling it out of thin air. But the, the truth of it is, 
that improvisation comes from understanding deeply the topic, understanding deeply what your resources are and what your abilities are, and then drawing far lines to connect those things. Connect those things. Yeah, I nailed that one. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay. Um, another feature of tools is that as opposed to rules, which are often dictated from the top, rules are, are bottom up. Other way around. Tools are bottom up, right? We, we, we have them. As the creatives who are creating these artifacts, we have the tools. And using them empowers us to make these creative leaps that would, un, that would otherwise be impossible if we were just to follow the rules. So the question then becomes, in your work, how do you place the tools above the rules? And I have just a, a few insights, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up. Uh, the, the first part is really about being aware. And we talked about this, that you need to understand what your abilities are, what your opportunities are, what the problem space really looks like. And being aware also, if you're being instructed or enticed to use a rule, or are you being enabled to use a tool? Being aware of that will help you to make a rational decision instead of being in, in, the, in the throes of creation and just following orders, right? It also requires a, an acceptance of the risk of failure because tools, back up, rules will give you a predicted outcome nearly every time. That's why they work. That's why it, larger organizations will definitely give you a sticker sheet or a template or a doc, right? They will give you a predicted outcome where tools are very risky. Instead of saying, this is how we do it, you're asking, what if we do it this way? And so you, you, you have to be okay with the possibility of failure. In fact, you should probably account for it because it's going to happen if you start really leaning into tools. And the last thing is that once you are aware of your opportunities, aware of the tools, and you're okay with the risk of it, you then become re responsible to enable the people that you work with, enable yourself to take advantage of them. All right, big takeaway. Be aware of the way that we construct our creative spaces. And do so in a way that enables tools. Enable them for yourself and for the people that you work with. The biggest creative leaps come from using tools. They don't come from obeying the rules. And that's it. Tools, not rules, everyone. Just really quickly, I had a couple questions because I'm trying to take notes. And if anyone has questions, definitely let me know. We'll take about 10 minutes or so for Q&A. Um, but one of the big questions I have, um, because it's a your podcast is a very intimate thing between you and a best friend, um, what are some of the values or positives versus negatives of working with somebody that is that close of a friend? Benefit. 
Yeah, I, I think it kind of works in with the narrative that I was saying that, you know, I have to trust him. Sometimes, like, that relationship doesn't let me argue with him very much because I care about how he feels about his own work. And this kind of, like, reflects into the idea of creating a safe space. If I want the best work from him, I have to let him publish things that I don't agree with. And it can be very difficult. Especially when I, I kind of, like, I'm not saying I got like the highest bar, but like, I kind of care. I care a lot. And so if he's doing something I don't agree with, I'm like, man, this, you know, all right, all right. It, it creates a little bit of tension there. But ultimately, that expression of trust will enable him and propel him to do even greater things than I could have wanted in the first place. So it also sounds like a little bit of just learning to let go of some of your own internal um, rules or guidelines around, you know, quality in order to work with friends and allow them to, and, and to have that kind of trust. Awesome. Um, and then can you give an example of how rule number one follows into your day-to-day -day at Google? Don't Google things? <laughs> I'm sorry, not rule number one, rule number, tool number one, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, don't Google anything. <laughs> Tool number one. Um, yeah, the, great question. So uh, the idea of trust and enabling and autonomy. Um, I, I find... So there's evidence here if you're not telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm like super like massaging the truth to make myself look great and they, <laughs> and they know. Uh, um, I, I find that the best teams that I'm on and the best projects that I'm on um, are the ones where the... Uh, I don't want to say the expectations are low because kind of the expectations are always high. But the, where the need to move fast and the need to try something new and lean on uh, assumptions and test them, where that is accepted, those are the areas where I personally thrive the most. And, and this goes back to that, that tool of enablement. I, f I feel better, and I feel better about my work when my creative partners say, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like, they don't go, that's awesome. I don't want them to say that. I want them to go, sure, we'll try that, because that's better for me, because then when it comes back and it doesn't work, which it usually doesn't, I can be like, yeah, it, it didn't work, we'll try something else. And I have that, like, room to mess around in and kick things. Wherein, if they came in and said, that's fantastic, you're a fantastic designer, there would be all this pressure because I know it, what I'm proposing is going to fail. Cool. So one of the questions that we ask a lot of our speakers, um, because everyone's really in a creative field in some way, shape, or form, um, is what was your actual first job? And is there anything from that that you learned that you take into what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, so... Really, really, what was your first job? Yeah, when I was like 14, I got a job at a hot dog stand at a baseball park. And I got fired for stealing hot dogs. <laughs> so I take that with me everywhere I go. And that's why I work where they give you free food. And so that's, that's how it manifests today. Yes, I love it. Good answer. That's awesome. So in case any, does anyone have any other questions for Travis? 
Hi, everybody. I'm Dia. Um, thanks. And super curious, when you go to present your work to um, teams that are your, I would think of as your internal clients, how much of your um, tools do you fold into the storytelling around presenting your work? And how transparent are you with the business units that you're maybe developing um, creative for? Yeah. And also, what is the impact you see that happens in the room when you do share? Okay, um, okay so I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm going to talk about people that are better than me and what I've seen and what I want to be like. So the best instances of this is when someone walks in and they go, this is what we're thinking right now. And we need your help to really understand it. So I'm going to give you our thoughts and then you can kick it and you can punch it and throw it around and see if it really works. And when that happens, the room relaxes. And it says, okay, these are just ideas. These are our, our prevailing thoughts, but they are not the rule. And um, whenever I'm in that situation, and, and usually I'm, I guess, the client in, in, in that situation where somebody's presenting and they're, they're saying this, I'm like, yeah, I can work with that. But if they came in and said, this is how we're gonna do it, and you have to do it by Thursday, and I'm like, it's Wednesday night, and I got this talk, can't do it. Um, I, it's always a lot more stress, always a lot more conflict, and I'm unable to give my best work in those situations. Anyone else? Okay. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, what's another tool that you find yourself using most often? <clears throat> um, usually research is the best tool to help me to fill in my assumptions. Um, so we're very lucky at Google to have like a really world-class research team. And so if I have this idea and I think that the users will like it because I like it and that's basically enough for me, um, it's really helpful to put those assumptions in front of people and, and really kind of hammer that out. Um, I think it, if you wrap yourself up in the idea of being correct, and if you wrap your identity around that, you're gonna get a lot of painful experiences. And I, and I know this because I was there, and, and going through like user testing experiences and feedback sessions, when I'm saying, this is me, and I put it there, and I'm not using research or, or empathy, these kind of tools that will like really enable me to understand why it doesn't work, when, when somebody says, like, this, this doesn't work, meet our need, where there's a business need or a user need, it's, it's soul crushing. Um, so having the tool of, of research and also of relying on my collaborators, like, what do you think about this? What does your experience tell you? And checking that against my own saves me a whole lot of ego crushing, soul sucking pain. Just a little bit. So... Um, coming off of your uh, success of your YouTube channel um, and then moving into the podcast as a format, what let you evolve beyond the tactics that you um, encountered that um, led to at least the scale of, of your YouTube channel um, and kind of let you have this freer way of expressing yourself or creating in, in the podcast format? Was it the format? Was it you kind of grew tired of, of the experience that you had on YouTube or kind of what, what, what made you 
kind of evolve beyond um, what you knew to be quote unquote successful? Yeah. Uh, just fantastically difficult question. Um, so, so I, I also used to write a lot and, and publish my writings and uh, send people like these dispatches of what I was thinking that week. And um, about a year ago, I had a lot of conflict uh, in me, and um, it resulted in me abandoning kind of my YouTube channel, abandoning my writing, abandoning a lot of other things too. And the only thing that remained extracurricular-wise was the, the podcast. And I think it's exclusively because of my friend, my collaborator. I, I don't care if we get a sponsor for the next episode. I don't care if our network grows. I don't care how many downloads. I want to have an evening where I sit next to my best friend and I talk to them about what's going on inside and then he can, you know, he can tell me about like being a great creator or something. And I'll be like, I'm horrible. And he'll be like, this is how you fix it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But those moments are so important to me that I think that's the only reason, that's the only thing that, that kept that one project alive was that relationship. There's something very intimate that happens when you put a microphone in front of somebody. The conversation becomes so intentional. There's no room for small talk. It's just about the important things. Um, and and that, the value of that experience is so high. There's... It's like therapy, really. Like, there's no way to, uh, to stop, especially if you're, like, all fucked up. <clears throat> Hypothetically. Awesome. So it sounds like trust is one of our big tools and takeaways. Uh, one more question. Did everybody hear that question? Uh, for those people who are really interested in both listening to podcasts as well as possibly producing and giving back, yeah, and... Yeah giving back to community, any advice on sort of starting up that process? Yes. So we have some episodes that are called like how to start a podcast and guess who hosted those ones? <laughs> um, not me. So uh, I, I'm reminded of the way that I interact with my son and he's four and he goes, I can't clean my room. It's just too hard. And he'll sit down and I'm like, step one, put on pants. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I taught him, I said, um, okay, if you have a big problem, there's like a lot of books on the floor. The way that you approach a big problem is to break it into small problems. And he's like, okay, now I have a lot of small problems. <laughs> and I said, the way that you start is to just start. And that's kind of really what it boils down to. Like, you know, somebody else will tell you what microphone to buy. Somebody else will tell you whatever. But like, use your iPhone, record a voice memo, and then, and then put it on Facebook. Like, it doesn't need, you don't need anything. All you need is a little bit of will. And, and then like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Travis, for being our salon speaker this evening. It's awesome. Um, and for those of you who have not um, sort of done a little tour of Creative Live and gone up and answered some of our questions, um, you're welcome to do so now. Any the Creative Live team, again, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, especially. 
Yeah. And I really want to thank Creative Live for hosting us tonight. The space is fantastic and the food and drink and everything else and your support has been lovely.